When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Well.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and today, Danea, one of our instructors and hosts here at Well.com, is sitting down with Andrew from OceanCore. They're talking about non-destructive testing, a process of weld inspection that is widely used throughout the trade. Alrighty, so I've got Andrew with me here today to explain some of the NDT stuff in the industry and some general questions of NDT. Um, so first off, can you kind of explain what NDT is? Yeah, so NDT stands for non-destructive testing. Um, as you can see, uh, Ocean Core logo, I'm an instructor, so that has been my life. Uh, NDT is used everywhere. So uh, kind of in the world of life hacks and social media and all that stuff, you really could think of NDT as that. It is a very, very unknown trade, but it's used everywhere literally everywhere and in a lot of ways people probably don't even think about and so uh you know ndt is broken down into six key elements of various methods of inspection but i mean really it is used in every single aspect of uh just our industrial world uh so with that being said there's a it really couldn't put a a button on what ndt is because it is really so vast um but the the applications are never-ending so, I mean, if there's a will, there's a way sort of thing. Okay. So, I kind of stepping back here for a second. What does NDT stand for? Uh, non-destructive testing. Okay. Non-destructive testing. Um, you might hear the term NDE, which is non-destructive evaluation. And that's really just a industry-specific terminology. Uh, aerospace, things like that are going to refer to themselves as NDE rather than NDT. Okay. Now, for someone wanting to get into the industry, mm-hmm. how long does schooling usually take? Well, that, that's a, a kind of a, a complicated question. Now, in the, the grand scheme of things with NDT, we, we break ourselves up into levels. So you have a entry level, level one, level two, level three. Uh, entry level, really, you don't need a whole lot. You just need to get in with a business. Now, that being said, you do have to accrue experience or what we call on-the-job training and our classroom. Uh, there, there's a lot of different methods, and they all require different extensive classroom training. Uh, here at the Ocean Corps, our program is seven and a half months, and that meets all of our requirements for the classroom training portion. So our students, they go out, they start working, and it's just a matter of a few months before they start getting certified. Okay. And uh, it's, it's a pretty quick process. So in that seven months, they mm-hmm. learn every um, type of NDT testing? Uh, for, for the basic six methods. So that's okay. going to be visual, uh, penetrant testing or liquid penetrant magnetic particle, eddy current or electromagnetic testing ultrasonics, as well as radiography. Okay. Um, so me being in the welding industry, mm-hmm. um, certified welding inspectors is kind of a big thing. Yes. Um, do you need to be a CWI to get NDT certified? No, no. Uh, in, in fact, it's a common question. Uh, you know, do you have to be a welder to be CWI? Do you have to be an inspector to be a CWI? Um, it, there's really no good answer for that. A uh, fact of the matter is you should have some knowledge for welding, obviously. Yeah. And you should also have some knowledge of the inspection of what goes into that. Um, you, you don't necessarily need to have one versus the other, but it is definitely advised. 
Um, I know AWS is what a lot of people are uh, familiar with. Yep. Um, AWS, in fact, has its own, um, I believe they call them amendments or uh, additional training certifications you can get in addition to your CWI, yes. um, which is really affiliated with the NDT stuff. Now, uh, if you are a CWI, a lot of your stuff is focused on keeping track of the NDT that needs to get done. So uh, what is the code call for? What methods? And making sure that's getting done on time, correctly, tracking repairs, making sure all the reports are in place, stuff like that. In terms of being mm -hmm. the welding industry, someone might want to become a CWI. Now, mm -hmm. would you recommend them getting like their NDT certifications done beforehand? Or would that maybe be something they do um, after the fact? It's really at their discretion, kind of whatever whatever works. Now, there is a minimum requirement to become a CWI, and yes. it comes down with experience. And yes. that's really just being in the welding industry. You do not necessarily have to have NDT experience. Yeah. However, um, having NDT experience does help you get and accrue that experience for sure. Um, you know, I, I would say it's helpful for both sides of it. If you are a welder and you want to be a CWI, having some knowledge about NDT is definitely going to be helpful. And on the counter side, being an NDT technician does not make you a welding expert. So having that knowledge is going to be beneficial in the long run. Um, so one thing, so like mm -hmm. CWI, depending on what degree you have and yes. how many years of experience you mm -hmm. have is how you can get your CWI. Now yes. with NDT, you said some knowledge mm -hmm. you should have, but do you necessarily need to have like those five years or those degrees to get NDT no, certified? No, no, no. Uh, we, we break our stuff up into, it's not necessarily degrees. Again, it's levels. So okay. uh, again, uh, you, you basically at the bare minimum needs to have a high school diploma or a GED. That's okay. kind of the, the starting point. And again, you don't have to have that to get into the industry. So uh, at some point you should be striving for that. Okay. But uh, you start getting your classroom training or your experience, whichever way you decide to do it, and you start racking up those hours. Uh, our classroom training, it varies anywhere from as few as maybe eight hours a classroom up to 80 hours a classroom, depending on the method. And then we start accruing our, our experience in the field. And that can vary from a few hundred hours to roughly 14 to 1600 hours. Okay. So not necessarily something you're going to get overnight. Yeah. But um, as that builds up, we, we can do that. Now you can skip ahead a little bit, get some credits if you do have a degree in a uh, associated field. Okay. Um, but it's not a, or a necessity by any sense of the term. Most of our grads are coming in with a high school education and they're going on within a year to be very successful as what we call level two technicians. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now when it comes to being an NDT tech, mm -hmm. do you have to have certain hours um, or who do you regulate that through? yeah i believe with the aws they're called continuing education credits yes. getting additional training uh and other methods affiliated with that absolutely mm -hmm. as an ndt technician you do not have to do that once you are a level two in a given method it means you are qualified you've met all the hour requirements okay. um you're you're good um the only next step would be what we call a level three which is typically something that's governed by asmt Okay. Um, that's the American Society of Non-Destructive Testing. And that's really what we we base most of our credentials and qualification requirements off of. It's uh, it's more of a recommendation, but pretty much everybody follows that. And uh, to become an AS&T Level 3, you must be qualified as a Level 2 for four years. Okay. Once you've done that, you can fill out your paperwork, and then they will decide if you are capable or able to go take that exam. Um, it is an extensive process. There are not... A, Tremendous amount of level threes out there, especially through ASMT. Um, 
One side note, if you do not want to go the AS&T route, your employers are typically responsible for that. Okay. So every employer will follow the AS&T guideline, and then that's how they will certify their own individual people per uh, their documents. Okay. So again, you, you don't necessarily need to have that, that AS&T affiliation, but it definitely is helpful, and it does kind of put you in... A, uh, a a box of kind of a, a lead, if you want to call it that. Okay. Um, but it, again, two kind of separate affiliations with AWS and AS&T, but it's all within that same industry. industry. So definitely you can go back and forth with that. Okay. Now talking of those different mm-hmm. levels, like mm-hmm. pay wise, okay. like what's like a general mm-hmm. um, pay grade or scale, I should okay. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, that's going to vary based off a of location, um, what industry you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk a lot about oil and gas. We're in Houston, so that's kind of kind of what we do. Yep. Um, oil and gas pay rates are generally a little bit higher. Uh, they are, I would say, 10 to 15% higher than anywhere else versus like aerospace. But uh, there's some things that come with that. Um, as an entry-level technician coming out of Ocean Core, we, in, in recent history, we've seen anywhere from 18 to $22 an hour walking out the door. Okay. Um, so, I mean, considering you don't necessarily have to have a degree or anything, it's a good start. Yep. As you move up, you start accruing hours, you become a level two. You take your test, you pass, you're certified, great. You can now go work without a supervisor. Okay. Um, that's all good. And I, I kind of skipped over level one, which is kind of a stutter step in between there. But level two is really where you want to get to. That's where the money comes in. And at that point, um, it really depends. I've seen as as low as, we'll say, 25 Okay. which isn't great, but I've seen as high as in the 50s. And okay. it's just uh, kind of random in that sense. And it really is based off of where you're working and what the expectation is. Okay. Um, you go to a level three beyond that. Frankly, as a level three, you do not become a level three for the money. Uh, level threes are generally what happens when uh, you get older into the industry. Uh, you start looking more at uh, technical documents, managing quality programs, things like that. You're typically in the office. Uh, you might go out in the field to do audits and things like that. But more often than not, you're doing that. And at that point, you're probably looking at a salary job, which is yeah, right around six figures, if not a little bit more. Okay. So, uh, I mean, it, it really varies by location. Uh, again, being in Houston, our pay rates are a little bit higher. You go to places like Kentucky, where there's not a tremendous amount of work. It's not as high of a demand job. They're going to be a little bit lower. Um, now, you can combat that with traveling and things like that, uh, collecting per diem. It can be helpful to, to kind of bridge that gap, but it really just depends. Okay. So comparing it to welding, like jobs in welding, mm-hmm. um, like uh, entry level and mm-hmm. the tech would be kind of probably, in a sense, like your welder's helper. Yeah, yeah. So yep, uh, welder's helper. I know a lot of guys in my, my uh, experience have started as basically extra labor hands and uh, kind of followed around the welding crews, uh, help drag leads, stuff like that. And then you have uh, your step up where you have your welder's helpers that are getting more involved. You know, okay. they're handing them rods. They're, they're helping clean up their welds, stuff like that. Okay. Um, and that's, that, that's kind of the, the entry level leading into a level one for what we would call that. Okay. And then probably level two would then be more sense the welder? Yes, yes. Okay. So uh, you can maybe look at it like level one would be somebody, again, who's uh, prepping the welds, cleaning up the welds. Uh, so basically the welders can go and run their passes and not have to worry about anything. Your level two is is the welder. welder. That's the one they're, they're running the passes. They're responsible for that weld. Their, their stamp is what goes on that. Um, just as a level two, it's your signature that goes on that. 
Um, and then moving forward, a level three would be like your Super. foreman, superintendent, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So trying to put it into layman's terms or mm -hmm. welder's terms, I guess you should yeah. say. Um, so like, say if one person knows like one process, mm -hmm. so putting that in perspective with NDT, what type of NDT testing would they possibly um, know? It, and that's kind of the beauty of it. You do not have to know all six methods. So for example, uh, there's a lot of pipeline welders, for example, and they are very, very good pipeline welders. Now they generally are only working in one or two positions when they do that. Um, so that is a very specific practice. Now, just the same way welders have to become qualified, right? They, they show up to a job site to do their welders qual, they pass all their tests, bend test, x-ray, whatever, and then they can go and do that particular method for that employer. Okay. It works just the same way with NDT. The more positions, the more complicated the welds or the more methods, whether it's TIG, MIG, whatever it may be, um, definitely correlates to us. Just instead of you know different welding processes, they're different NDT methods. methods. And they do get more complicated. So obviously doing a, a flat weld is a whole lot more simple than doing like an overhead or something like that. Yep. Or in you know, running a downhill bead, different hydrogen consistency, stuff like that on your rods. Um, we do have advanced services as well, or advanced techniques. And so we have our basics and then we can go from there. So the big, most common one is ultrasonics. Mm -hmm. Ultrasonics, we start off with just a very, very base level, what we call just a straight beam and a shear wave examination. And that's, uh, shear wave is pretty much what's commonly used for weld examination. We can go further than that though. We can have phased array, which is just built off of those fundamentals, but it is definitely a more informative inspection. We have time of flight diffraction. That's another one that can be used in addition to that. And what we're doing is we're giving ourselves more information. And ultimately, from a welder standpoint, it makes the calls much, much more accurate. Um, with these more advanced uh, methods, there's some retention to that, files, things like that. So it's all as close to an x-ray as we're gonna get. Um, and speaking of x-ray, you know, the, the dreaded x-ray crew that shows up. Yeah. Um, with that, you've probably seen in recent years, uh, they've started drifting away from conventional film, the big dark room, mm -hmm. chemicals, working in the dark, all that stuff. They've started getting into computed and digital radiography, which you're probably familiar with from the hospitals. Yeah. They've converted that to especially pipelines, and that has really taken off in the last couple of years. And that is another advanced method of uh, what we call radiography. So like being in the welding industry and mm -hmm. say you're wanting to get into the training, obviously with welding, you have to have the correct PPE, mm -hmm. so welding helmet, whatnot. Yep. With NDT, what kind of stuff, like getting into the industry, what? Mm -hmm. Mike, you have? Um, very basic PPE. That's it. Uh, very basic PPE, hard hat, safety glasses, and that's assuming the industry or your, your company doesn't issue yeah. those to you. Uh, definitely a good pair of work boots. Um, if you're working somewhere where like a refinery where they require flame retardant co uh, clothing, that's it's really a toss up if you're going to want to get your own and odds are whatever your company gives you isn't going to be super comfortable. So yeah. you're probably going to want to invest some stuff into yourself. But other than that, um, frankly, NDT is a very, very expensive method. Yes. Um, I would not advise out the gate anybody going out and buying this equipment unless unless you got money to burn. Um, I would not recommend it. Your employer will provide everything you need. Um, it, like I said, it's a very really the hardest thing to do is just getting in and going to work. Everything else will come from there. So I know there's companies out there that'll mm -hmm. pay for training, yes. or say you graduated high school and you want to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, 
what are some of the pros and cons of maybe having a company pay for that training versus okay. just going to school? Okay. Well, um, we, we get this question all the time. You know, people come in, a lot of times they found us on the internet or they know somebody in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you coming through our school, uh, it, yes, you, as a student, you were taking on a lot of that cost. However, what that is doing is setting you up for success. It is putting you ahead of the pile of resumes. And what I mean by that is if you went through an employer, okay, uh, there's a, a couple different employers out there that actually have their own training affiliation, which is great. That's fantastic. They're training their people appropriately. Uh, that being said, that that is their time they paid for, for you to go to that training. Um, by all rights, they kind of have ownership of that. And it, it sounds kind of cryptic, but you know, you went through the training, but they paid, paid for, for it. it. So yeah. it, it's not necessarily, yes, your name's on it, but how much of that do you really own? I can tell you coming through this school, everything you get when you graduate, all those documents, those are yours. Nobody can touch them. You have worked for them. Those are yours. Um, more advanced stuff. Uh, so we mentioned phased array, time of flight, uh, computer and digital radiography. Those are all additional courses that we don't offer here. Um, that really, you may never end up getting into it. You don't have to, and you can still be very successful. However, uh, those are more classes, more money, and the more advanced it is, the more it costs. Um, so really at that point, if you decide to go that route, um, you may be able to have your employer pay for it. Uh, it just depends on their right. situation. and Or you can pay for it yourself. And really what you're doing there is you're investing in your future. You're hoping you spend a few thousand dollars on training, that will be returned by more work, a higher pay rate, so on and so forth. So say you have a company mm-hmm. pay for your training. Mm-hmm. Could they essentially say you want to leave that company? Could mm-hmm. they like hold on to those certifications and then you have to go out and get your, those certifications again? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Now, one one thing that you can keep, assuming everything gets signed off, is your experience, meaning you're on the job training. Mm-hmm. However, those classroom hours, those documents, the the, the certification of completion, yeah, I've, I've heard some horror stories and uh, it, it's it's frustrating. It really is because you can have some excellent employees who maybe just upset somebody when they left and they, they kind of, I don't want to say started over, but they're definitely in a rough spot again. So uh, it doesn't happen all the time. It really doesn't. And like I said, these are horror stories, but it's always a cautionary tale okay. um, by using an employer to get your certifications or your training. Okay. Um, so what are some of the perks of going to school versus um, getting that on the okay. job training? Yeah, yeah. So um, I know here at the Ocean Corps, we have an excellent job placement group. Um, and what that does is it allows all of our grads to have access to basically the Ocean Corps network. We have an alumni page um, where all of our grads go to after they graduate. We add them to it. It's a very it's a private group. So okay. it's just alumni. And that's a great resource in finding positions, jobs, and also just our office right the next wall over um, has some some excellent individuals who do a very, very good job of finding placement like that. Now, conversely, if you're getting your training through an employer, they're kind of under the presumption you're not going anywhere, um, which can can be good or bad. Now, we talked about the various other NDT methods. You don't have to do all of them. And in fact, a lot of people do not do all of them. They might only do two, three, four methods. And that's that's perfectly fine. Um, but let's say uh, you, you are interested in ultrasonics and your company does not heavily do ultrasonics. If you're, you got your training through them, they might just kind of throw their hands up and go, this is what we, we're paying you for. Yeah. 
here at the Ocean Corps, you already have that classroom training. So realistically, you just need to get experience. So you can take that to some other employer and go, I've got all these to bring to the table, plus all this from the Ocean Corps. Um, would you be able to help me get this experience? And a lot of times that, that alone will help you get your foot in the door and start going down a maybe a potentially better path that's more suited for your personal or private needs, uh, scheduling-wise and things like that. Okay. Now, I know in the welding industry, mm -hmm. the demand for jobs is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the things that I'm seeing, they will hire literally anyone, which is kind of sad, um, but that's where it is today because yes. not very many people want to work nowadays, it seems like, or nowadays that it seems like. Um, so with NDT, since mm -hmm. they kind of go hand in hand, is there a high demand for techs right now? Uh, currently, yes. I mean, uh, this is in the last, well, I would say since the start of 2022, once uh, everybody reeled yeah. back and got their new budgets and all that stuff, I have seen more of a hiring demand now than I have in the last 13 years. Um, and in and, and some methods that we typically don't see a high demand for, uh, I mentioned Eddie Current as one of the methods we mm -hmm. teach here. It's typically a very, very tight knit group. There are not a lot of opportunities to get into that method. Mm -hmm. um, come the beginning of 2022, they were looking for anybody and everybody who had any sort of relevant experience to go to work with that, which is unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you just, just locally here, I mean, we're seeing call outs for 20, 30 technicians, wow. plus helpers and everything else and our assistants, which is again, that that just tells us there has been a dramatic either uptick in the amount of work or just like you said the the lack of people being available yeah so when it comes to jobs mm -hmm. is it very localized or like when it comes to welding i mm -hmm. always tell people that come and see me like pick where you want to live and find yeah. a job now is that kind of the same case for ndt is it or is it a little bit more you location can, specific yeah you can absolutely do that like here in houston we've got a bunch of refineries so you really can stay local and work those refineries um that being said a lot of our job is traveling now you can work locally and, and that's fine and still make a very comfortable living but where especially we tell our grads early on if you want to get that experience yeah. you got to do some traveling now it doesn't have to be all the time you don't have to disappear for 18 months but you're gonna have to hit the road for a little bit what i mean by that is you can still be stationed out of houston for example mm -hmm but your work is going to take you elsewhere. And sometimes it's a few hours away and maybe you make it home that night. Sometimes you're on the other side of the state or a couple states over and you're not coming back for a couple of days. Um, sometimes weeks, months, whatever it may be. Um, and that's really how our grads early on get their experience. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way, but that's kind of the, the, the fast track to getting that level two status. Okay. Now kind of talking about experience mm -hmm. in that now, like age restrictions, mm -hmm. physical restrictions, or is there anything like that when it comes to NDT? Again, kind of industry specific, but, uh, you know, we have all sorts of different people come through this school. Um, that, that We have a lot of, you know, 18-year-old individuals fresh out of high school, you know, chipper and full of life. And we have some people that come through that are, they're, they're, it's either their second shot at, at life or their career, or maybe they're retired and they retired early and want to try something new. Really what it depends on is, what you're comfortable with, what you're comfortable with. Uh, if you're going to be on a pipeline somewhere, especially out in West Texas, you're going to be trudging through the sand miles a day. Yeah. That's not for everybody. I can tell you, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I'm, I'm relatively healthy, but you know, you really have to evaluate that for yourself. I, I'm, I would never tell anybody they can't do, do anything. Um, you know, we work in refineries around here. 
There's a lot of climbing involved, working at heights, being tied off to things that some people are a little queasy about. That's probably something you want to consider. Uh, if you'd rather keep your feet on the ground, maybe go in a direction that can do that. Um, if you want to work in a lab, meaning you're, you're basically working at the same place every day, parts are brought to you, and it's just kind of a repetitive process. Uh, aerospace is really common for that. Yep. Realistically, you can do you can do that till you decide you're done. It is not super physically taxing. It's more of a mental taxation rather than anything else. Mm -hmm. And it really just depends what you want to do. I would not say that there's any any sort of limitations other than what you might put on yourself. Yeah. So some jobs might have physical requirements. Mm -hmm. Some jobs might not. Yeah. Yeah. And very so, much so. I mean, if you're wanting to be in a lab, just finding that job might mm -hmm. be a little bit harder if yeah. you're not willing to be a little bit flexible. Yep, yep, you definitely, it, it's it's a give and take. It's a big balancing act. So uh, I will say most most often when I see a job posting, at the bare minimum, the expectation is you can pick up about 50 pounds mm -hmm. um, and you can stand on your feet for an extended period of time. That's really the cutoff. If they want more, like for example, if you're going to a refinery, they're going to put in there, you must be able to climb ladders, work at heights, uh, you know, things of that nature. Confined spaces is another one. Some people are a little claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, I'm the small guy, so I was the the confined space guy. So I just, you know, luckily I didn't have that issue. But I, I do know some individuals who did struggle with that. And we just, they, they just knew they couldn't go on those jobs. And that was perfectly fine. We found other stuff for them to do. But yeah, there's, there's no, I, I would say there's no limitation other than what you put on yourself. All right. Now, when it comes to like eyesight, mm -hmm. I know obviously you kind of need to see what you're yeah. doing when it comes to being an NDT mm -hmm. tech. Now, like colorblindness, anything of that nature, is that going to limit you? Um, Really what it comes down to, like we start off every every day, you start off doing a visual inspection of what you're going to do, regardless of what that method may be. So yes, you know, the, the eyesight is a factor. Um, Now, if you wear corrected lenses, glasses, stuff like that, you're okay. Typically the expectation is uh it's about a 25 20 and then your near vision as well which we test for um be, before you become certified that is something that they will require you to do corrected lenses are okay color blindness is an interesting one because there's a, a, a couple different varieties of that um realistically speaking so long as you can tell the difference between the colors that you're using so uh for penetrant for example everybody knows about the the red ink that goes yep. everywhere yep. um white contrast red indication even being red, green, color blood, you still see those shades of gray. You just got to know what they are. Yes. As okay. long as you can evaluate that, it is not an issue whatsoever. We actually had an instructor here who was a, spent an, made an entire career out of NDT who was colorblind, and it was no problem whatsoever. Okay. Now, I know you mm -hmm. kind of touched on it. Mm -hmm. So CWI, you have to get like a vision test yes. before you test. So mm -hmm. you were talking Same thing about here. that? Yep, okay. yep. Before you become certified, your company will run you through a vision exam. And you don't have to go to an optometrist or anything. If you've never been to one, maybe, maybe. your eyesight is a little so-so, they might suggest that you go to one just to, to get you up sure. to that status. Now, physical, I've mm -hmm. heard a little bit about rope access. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you could touch on that just a little bit. So rope access, that's something a little bit different. They also use levels of training, a level one, level two, level three. And it's it's pretty similar. As a level one, you really can't do a tremendous amount without some supervision. Uh, a level two, you can uh, execute procedures and all that stuff. A level three does most of the planning and the technical side of things. Okay. Those are in addition to our NDT methods. CWIs as well can be rope access. And what it does is it saves a lot of money. Okay. Instead of building a scaffold, uh, getting lifts and things like that, 
you can get a, a, scat, or a, a rope access crew together. They can do not just the inspection. A lot of your rope access people are also trained in coating removal, insulation removal, uh, asbestos abatement, stuff like that. So while they're there, they're doing a variety of different jobs um, rather than having to build scaffolding and get multiple people involved. Uh, it's also used very commonly offshore. Um, and really, I would say in the last seven to 10 years, it has really, really ramped up where I can tell you just about every refinery around Houston will have uh, localized nested rope access crews just for those jobs that would be troublesome or unsafe to try to do otherwise. Now, probably there's more of a physical mm -hmm. requirement when it comes to rope access. Yes, yes, they do have their own. Obviously, those guys are working. They're dangling off of the side of structures and stuff like that. So there is some physical limitation. Before you do anything, you will have to go through training. There's a couple of facilities here in town. There's a few NDT companies who have opened their own rope access training side of it. Okay. Um, and yeah, you definitely, you're, you're doing a lot of lifting. Really ask yourself if you think you would be comfortable picking up another human being your size, holding onto them, tying them off, and then safely being able to lower them down, all the while taking care of yourself and your surroundings. Yeah. Um, it's not for everybody. You do not have to do it. Um, and like I said, it is uh, more of a, a specialty application, but for our NDT students who are willing and want to do that, it does bring a pay raise. Uh, typically a few dollars an hour while you're doing ropes um, is really, really helpful. Someone with maybe a criminal background, would that maybe be something they could get an NDT with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it obviously depends on, on the extent of it and, and that sort of thing. Now, I will tell you, uh, we, we tell all of our students early on to go get their TWIT card. Okay. Um, that, that is a federal background check. And okay. that's, that's kind of the, the first line to see. If you can get a TWIT card, you're pretty much good. If you can't, that's okay. Uh, we can make that work. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a letter of, you know, uh, basically to their character that they've kind of turned their life around, and that's great. Um, NDT, you know, I, I always joke with my students, we're kind of the land of misfit toys. We, we've all come from different backgrounds. We have different walks of life. A lot of people got into this and they made some mistakes as a kid. They come in and they're, they're grown, they're adults, they've learned some hard life lessons, and they are ready to move on to that next stage of their life. So long as you're taking care of your end, typically we can work with that. Now, where it might be a problem is if you're trying to get into aerospace or a nuclear yeah. power plant. Or working um, maybe for the Department of Defense. I know yes, that becomes yeah. even harder yeah, background-wise. It, it can be problematic. And that's, again, if you're working in that environment, that's probably something they're just going to catch right out the gate yeah. before you waste any more of their time and yours. Yeah. Um Nuclear power plants are difficult. Uh, I've I've been in several, and every time you go in, it is a process, and they will they will tear your life apart trying to find every little bit that they can. Now, again, you do not have to do that if you if you decide you know what I just want to go to a pipeline and make some money. It's going to be a lot more lax than if you're trying to get and work with Department end. of Defense. Yeah. Okay. Now another thing with it being 2022, mm -hmm. technology is huge. Yes, um, robotics is a thing mm -hmm. now with Very NDT. Much so. How much like robotics and I guess the types mm -hmm. of robotics that yeah, NDT yeah. might see? Um, most of our our stuff, if you think about that, it's uh, it's really remote access, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that and collecting large amounts of data. So everybody hears about drones. You know, that that's started to replace some of the visual requirements uh, from a safety standpoint. Definitely not not to mention just the time it saves. Uh, they've started affixing probes and things like that to drones. That's kind of an upcoming industry. Okay. 
what's been around for a while are what we call automated UT scanners. And it's a, it's a series of servo motors that turn a set of wheels in a, a scanner. And it collects a tremendous amount of data, more frankly, more effectively than a human could. Okay. Um, really, it can take what would take maybe a human an hour to do. It can do it in a matter of about five minutes. And then you have the human element on the other side just evaluating that data. Um, it has definitely changed our industry. Uh, the, the, the whole concept of this manualness to it, uh, the, that labor intensive stuff is starting to go away. Um, which is good. It, it is good. But what that is pushing the industry to is a uh, you got to have to have a little bit of brain power is yeah. what it comes down to. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to adapt to your surroundings and the new technologies. Probably if, a little bit more on the evaluation side. Yes. More yes. Than just very testing. much so. Very much so. And uh, that's that's definitely something that's here and it's not going away. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of companies here just locally who have completely built themselves up just in the sense of robotics. Um, and like I said, it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, companies have really come around to it once they they got past kind of the, the skepticism. And I personally don't see it going anywhere. Um, we just actually had a graduating class, and I think at least half of them ended up going to robotics companies. All right. Now, being at the Ocean Corp, mm -hmm. um, speaking of the ocean, yeah. now, what are some of like the robotics and ways that you inspect when it comes to offshore? Absolutely. Uh, well, we mentioned rope access earlier. That's, that's a really common one. But I, I got lucky by coming here. The, the uh, water uh, ocean inspection stuff has really, really ramped up. It's becoming really, really interesting. They're creating... Uh, Lots of uh, very versatile ROVs for inspection and not just visual, which is what they used to be used for. Uh, okay. um, you know, nowadays we have have ROVs that are affixed with not just cleaning tools and things like that, but also probes. And so, no longer do we have to, you know, be limited uh, by the depths that the diver can safely go down to. Um, we have that capability to go further. Now, it, most of the applications are relatively simplistic. Um, they can get a little bit more advanced, but uh, those technologies are kind of limited just by the physics of what they're doing. But nonetheless, ROV is really ramped up. Uh, you do have to get uh, your pilot's license to do this commercially, and they come in a variety of sizes and applications. But there's a lot of companies that are just focusing on ROV now and drone inspection as well. And that's uh, mostly visual, like I said earlier. But I mean, we just had a company out here testing out a new ROV for ACFM, which is a uh, kind of a, a side market or a side method of electromagnetic, okay. which is uh, kind of unreal. I, that's the first time I've ever seen that. It was very, very cool. And it worked, which is always exciting. Yeah. But uh, this stuff is, again, it's not going away. And it really comes down to how can we safely and effectively do these inspections? And again, that's that's the analysis side of it is you're making sure the data you're collecting is in fact correct. Okay. Now, dealing with evaluation and mm -hmm. being able to interpret all the yes. data, do you need to be really good at like math or science? Anything of those? Every one of our methods comes with a varying level of complexity. Uh, if it's a visual examination, it, it, there's not a whole lot of math involved uh, unless you really, really get into the, the whole concept of eyesight and visible light and all that stuff. But really to, to get into your, you know, through our program, we, we touch on it, but it is not a heavily, heavily pushed on item. That's uh, I know with the CWI that it is focused on quite a bit. Yeah. Um, as we get further into MAG and PT, we start talking about some math that's involved, uh, very, very basic algebra. 
nothing uh, nothing too complicated. And this is coming from somebody who's not a good math student. Um, but as we get into eddy current and ultrasonics, as well as radiography, the math does get more complicated. But I tell all my classes this, this is a procedural math class. We will give you all of the elements you need, except for the one we're trying to solve for. And as long as you can follow the, the process and repeat it, it, we're not here to trick you guys. It's, it's, it's actually, I've had a lot of students who, I, you know, I haven't touched math in 15 years and I don't want to. Well, you're kind of going to have to. And after a day, they're like, I, I don't know why I couldn't do this 15 years ago. Well, they can now. And so, like I said, the day-to-day -day math application, it, it is definitely there, um, but it is very procedural. The theory side of it, you, it can get a little into the woods, but again, it is all very, very simple to do as long as you just can put the variables in the right spot. Right. So they shouldn't be scared. Absolutely not. Not good at math. Absolutely not. I mean, I always joke with my, my class, I am a, a grad and I came here straight out of high school. I came here because I thought I wouldn't have to do math anymore. And boy, was I wrong. However, I can tell you as I started doing this, um, my confidence and my ability really, really, really accelerated because I was doing stuff here that I could have swore I would have never been able to do. And again, I've, I've worked my way up. I am now a level three in a couple of methods and I'm doing stuff that I never would have dreamed I would have been able to do. And like I said, it's, it's, it was really just a, a matter of immersing myself into that method and being able to apply that mathematics. Thanks again for tuning in to another edition of the Weld.com podcast. Make sure you head on over to Weld.com and become a member. Uh, there's always new things popping up in the forums and you don't want to miss out. So until next week, we'll see you out there.